Technology alone can't solve the challenges nonprofits face, and that's why Neon One provides software that empowers you to manage constituents, all while giving you the resources and support you need to connect to what matters most, your people and their passions. Learn more about how Neon One is helping nonprofits create stronger connections by visiting neonone.com slash weareforgood. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. B, what's happening? We're heading to like part of my favorite part of the country up near Seattle to meet an awesome human. Mm-hmm. And there's always like innovation, I feel like, pouring out of that part of the world. And today we're talking to somebody that is like a disruptor in the best of ways, a disruptor for good that's going to like challenge us in some new ways of thinking, but also just like come full circle to be like, shouldn't we be doing this anyway? You know, I hope there's going to be some of those aha <laughs> moments today, but it's our huge honor to have Jens Molbach on the podcast today. He's the founder of New Impact, and they just have this passion for opening up the conversation around the tri-sector business models. And if you're like me, you kind of know what that means, but you need somebody to hold your hand and guide you through this. But it's about aligning the for-profit side, the corporate side, the nonprofit side, and the government side, and like really kind of playing well together in the sandbox. And we're going to really talk about what does that mean. And we're talking to a legend. We called him a legend when we met him because we really mean it because his backstory is incredible. I mean, he was the founder and grew Coinstar into what we all know is like the most joyous occasion for kids pouring their coins and adults alike. But that business alone has processed over $60 billion and raised more than $100 million for nonprofits and saved the U.S. government billions of dollars in reduced cost. And that's just kind of a tangible expression of what it looks like when you get all on the same page and realize and zoom out for the bigger conversation and bigger questions that we should be asking. And of course, his pedigree is like so impressive. He has his MBA from Stanford, a BA from Yale, and he's a native of Seattle. And he just has that Seattle vibe about him. He is here to just have a real authentic and fun conversation. So get in our house. We're so glad you're here. It's great to meet you guys. Oh, it's lovely to have you. It's so nice to have you too. Yeah, I mean, what an honor. And we're excited to really dive into your work right now with New Impact. But before we get there, like, give us your backstory. Like, tell us about growing up and tell us about some of the, you know, formative experiences that led you into this work. Yeah, I think, I mean, if we're putting it into backstory, I, I got to start with mom and dad. Um, and the name is Danish, right? So, Jens, it's not, the, not a common American name. Um, but mom and dad uh, grew, were born in 1925 and uh, lived through the Nazi occupation um, in Denmark from 39 through 45. Wow. And then came to the U.S. Dad was an exchange student in 48 and went back and he and mom married and they came here on their honeymoon in 1950 and stayed. Um, so although I'm, you know, born and raised in the U.S., um, I'm really, you know, raised by a combination of American and and, uh, and, and Danish parents. And and I start with that because I think, you know, given their experience, when they got to the U.S., the U.S. in the 50s was really super representative of them. One is they valued democracy and, and good government because they'd seen what had happened when 
when that sort of freedom was taken away. <clears throat> and they were also really interested by the free enterprise system, they called it, or the ability to be entrepreneurial and grow stuff. So they started a, uh, a small nursery business. Uh, but they also brought with them, I think, a really strong sense of sort of Nordic egalitarianism and Nordic sensibility, which is expressed, I think, in a lot of the Nordic countries today. Um, so I often joke that I was actually raised in a tri-sector family. I mean, mom and dad <laughs> thought about business. They thought about government. They you know, did. They thought about yeah. civic stuff. And, and we were just kind of raised that way. So you often don't recognize these things until you get older. But when I think about the career that I've had, you know, I've worked in all three sectors. And now New Impact is really an expression of how do we really kind of take a whole of society approach together and create sort of more innovative models, whether it be a nonprofit model or a for-profit model or a government model. And how do you combine those things to kind of really create, you know, great outcomes uh, for people? Um, but it was that sort of, you know, fundamental, you know, I guess, you know, parenting that I got that that's really influenced me much more than I realized when I was young. What a great story. And I, I applaud your parents as just kind of pioneers, you know, and who are committed to just trying some stuff. And they took those great leaps of faith. And I love that we're talking about the tri-sector because one of the 2022 trends that we identified for this year was thinking like a business. We want nonprofits to think like a business, but we know you can't just start at that point. It really does start with going back into your mindsets. We talk a ton about growth and abundance mindset on this podcast, which is easy easy for us to do because podcast listeners are learners. And so how do we keep growing? And I love this new model that you've kind of like put out into the world and I'm so curious about it. So talk to us about the tri-sector mindset and the combination of that with the business model and tell us what you've learned throughout your career about it. So it's, um, there's a lot in that question, but let me, let me kind of start with telling a little bit, I guess, of the career trajectory. Um, and the story that led to new impact. And I'll start with Coinstar, right? So that's the, that's the company that I built. Um, that was most of my, my thirties, um, you know, from <laughs> having an idea, right. To being able to, you know, take a company public and whatnot, which was a lot of fun, but the, a lot of people know the Coinstar machines, but they don't know the backstory behind it. Um, and it was really personal. I was, I, you know, I was kind of intrigued about, gee, could I be an entrepreneur and, and build something that was sort of just interesting to me. Um, but I was also really interested from a career standpoint of working with nonprofits and, and working with, um, working with government in an integrated way. And I didn't want to do it sequentially, you know, over time. I really wanted to kind of do all three at once. So, you know, I had this, I always had a jar of coins that followed me around when I, I was moving a lot in my twenties. And I started, you know, just got kind of curious, like, well, how much is out there? So I wrote to the Fed and I wrote to the Mint. And what I learned was we had about $7 billion of coins sitting on dresser troughs throughout the country. Um, and a little more research, you know, you know, it <laughs> oh was like, was, <clears throat> that was a lot. But there was like actually 15, you know, it's actually 15 billion in circulation because, you know, the Mint had made all these coins, but only half of them were in dresser troughs, half of them were being used. But then the money also turned over like 20 times a year and created this $150 billion market. And I thought if there's other people like me who are, you know, too lazy to wrap them up and put them in little paper wrappers and take them down the <laughs> bank, that it, that it machine be useful. So that seemed like a business opportunity, right? But then as I started thinking about it too, I was like, well, wait a second. If the, if, if, if the government's producing all these coins and half of them are going missing, it's not really a great product. And if we can essentially create a recycling phenomena and get all these old coins back into circulation, then maybe we could save the government some money on this very small 
uh, program and make it more efficient. I thought, well, that could be kind of, you know, like a like good for government and, and good for the business. But then I also started thinking about the nonprofit sector um, and the history of coins and charities. So you think of like March of Dimes or, you know, mm-hmm. Salvation Army or UNICEF with the uh, the boxes of Halloween, the trick or treat things. And I realized we could actually use the machines to actually raise funds for, for nonprofits. And was that kind of insight that I was like, oh, I can work in the business sector and benefit government and benefits nonprofits that really motivated me to, uh, to start Coinstar. Um, and so all, you know, that worked, right? So we built the company um, and um, I can tell you lots of stories about that, but we <laughs> ended up doing a lot of work with the Fed and they fell in love with us. They thought it was really uh, cool what we were doing. Um, we'd actually rolled out about a hundred machines in Los Angeles. And I got back to my office in Seattle and the Fed called me and they said, who Always are scary. you? What are you? It was scary. It was really yeah. scary. You know, we're this little company in Seattle, like the Fed calls. The Fed loves um, you. Yeah. So but they funny. in the beginning, they were just confused because the West Coast had canceled all future penny orders. And they're like, what's going on? So we flew back to D.C. to explain ourselves. And and they were like, they're like, once they understood it, they're like, they're, they're like this is really interesting, right? You're going to create this national uh, recycling phenomenon. But then they got confused. They're like, well, you're not a, you know, you're not a customer. We can't regulate you. You're not a vendor. We don't have a contract. You're going to save us all this money. What do we do? And I'm like, you don't do anything. You actually, you actually created the market. And now you get the benefit of what you've done, right? And, and it's a win-win um, uh, scenario. So that was, you know, a really interesting piece. And they actually helped us grow. We got a call uh, a year later from the Royal Mint in the UK that said, hey, you're saving the US government all this money. Will you come do the same thing in the UK? And we rolled out the UK very, very quickly. And I like to say that my private sector shareholders uh, would not have gotten that benefit if we didn't have a public sector um, benefit. Yes. So that was really interesting. Um, and around the same time, we actually got a call from uh, UNICEF, and we had maybe four or 5,000 machines out there. And UNICEF called up and said, hey, you know, we've got this trick-or-treat for uh, um, UNICEF program where teenagers go off and collect coins um, at Halloween instead of getting candy. I don't know if you guys ever did it, but my older sisters did. And they're like, we, we love the program, but we have two problems. Um, one is that half the kids go off and collect the money and they never send it in to us. And it's not that they're, it's not that they're bad kids. They just yeah. like, they just don't follow just through. complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And they said the other problem is that the other half the kids actually do send the money in. So we have to we get like you know, 100,000 of these little orange boxes full of pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. And like, we're actually mission built for you. So just put a little message on the back of the UNICEF box and it says, hey, kids, take them down the local Coinstar machine, punch in a four-digit code. And then as Coinstar, we cut our fee in half from 8% to 4% and we wire transferred through the funds directly to UNICEF's um, bank account, um, which was non-profit. great. Non-profit. Non- yeah. Look at this partnership, this oh unique partnership. Gosh. Way to go, yeah. UNICEF. Yeah. So it was really about what was neat about it. It was a win for UNICEF. Right. And it was also great for us because as as Coinstar, we needed, um, you know, we wanted more customers and more trial and whatnot. And for UNICEF, they wanted more funds at a a lower fundraising cost. And we were like the most cost effective form of fundraising with a 96 percent pass through rate. Uh, for UNICEF. But but I tell those Coinstar stories because what was interesting about the model, right? We can talk about business models um, from the private sector, social or public sector. But we are basically taking the best of each sector and combining them in ways that weren't, you know, contractual or public-private partnerships. But we just kind of 
borrowed what the Fed did and we aligned what we were doing with what was good for the Fed. And we were working with UNICEF and aligned with them what was good for them. And it was also good for the business. So Coinstar grew and was, was successful. So that was an interesting, you know, experience in my 30s to kind of see that, that come together. Um, but then as I kind of, you know, got older, right, went through different stuff in my 40s. Um, but as I got older and started thinking more about the nonprofit sector and about government, I started to wonder if we couldn't apply this approach of using kind of the best resources of all sectors in, in more models, right? Not only for private sector models, but government models and, and specifically nonprofit models. And it's this, it's a, you know, you can call it a tri-sector approach or a whole of society approach. But what we're trying to do at New Impact is, is really three things. One is to promote this kind of a different way of thinking. It's both familiar, it's commonsensical, and it's also subtly and importantly different. So people, you might be familiar with like design thinking or agile or mm-hmm. human-centered design. So when we talk about tri-sector innovation, we're trying to get people to say, hey, there's a different way to think about structuring your organization, whether you're a nonprofit or for-profit or a government piece. So this is this mindset piece. And the second thing we're doing is we're trying to create tools to teach um, leaders, innovators, um, and all three sectors about ways to actually do this in ways that are super pragmatic, right? So someone can say, hey, I run my existing nonprofit or government entity or business entity, and can we actually make a stronger model with more impact um, in a different way? So we're building tools. And then thirdly, we're kind of demonstrating this by doing different uh, catalyst projects. So we've completed about six different projects um, for both nonprofit or entities um, and for-profits and governments out there. And we've got them all on the website, which we can we can talk about. So we're in a new, I mean, new impact is a C3. We're trying to create a public good that is um, everybody can use and borrow. I often like to say we're the innovators behind the innovators trying to help people, you know, scale and grow their organizations with um, with more power and more impact. Whoa. Wowzer. John, I mean, you're geeking out over this conversation, well, I mean, how you? could you not? I mean, you know, because we do talk about partnerships a lot, but it's like you just, I kept hearing the word win. And I'm like, there's a lot to win when you start to really listen and understand what the problem is, ask a bigger question and start solving for that. Like it really does mean people start winning and that's a key to sustainability, right? Yeah. And I think the, it's interesting when we, you know, one of the things that we think a lot about uh, resources. So I'll, I'll often say, let's think about the person that we're trying to help, whether it's someone who's, you know, trying to access food or housing or healthcare or education. And if you think about that person first, um, and you think about what they need, they might need some government resources, they might need some company resources, they might need some nonprofit resources. If you could design a system where you kind of pull the best of those things together, those are the sort of solutions that I think that, that can really work and really be um, be impactful. But you got to get in that headset first of thinking about these um, these ways. And often what we find is people will think, oh, you have to have like a public-private partnership and people have to sit down and like write a contract and make all these things. And what we have found is there are amazing resources in society in all three sectors. There's lots and lots of people working on different elements here. And often you can just borrow or um, align yeah. and get going together without going through a lot of that complication. Like I borrowed you know, the Fed's $150 billion program, right, that they had, they had built, right? And, you know, but I built Coinstar in a way that was really good for the Fed. And the same thing when we built the, the donation feature, we built it in a way that was really good so that the self-interests uh, were aligned. So it's got to be a win-win, right? 
to make these things really work. And we think a lot about that. I mean, there's a lot of ways we want to go from here, but I think like, you know, we're big into mindsets. You've tapped on some of the mindsets, but I want to get really specific of like, what mindsets do you feel like need to shift for those primarily listening today or your nonprofit audience? And I just hear the way you've gone about building your businesses and infrastructure you're just thinking without walls. Mm-hmm. And so what other like mindsets or rewiring needs to happen for a nonprofit that wants to have this really incredible dynamic partnership across the sectors, but where's the starting place? You know, it's interesting. We just completed a project with the USO around um, uh, junior enlisted um, op, uh, folks coming out of the military and transitioning uh, into civilian life, which was a really interesting project. And there's a, there's vast resources in the nonprofit sector, helping uh, uh, veterans kind of uh, transition out there. I would say one of the the biggest things we see from the nonprofit perspective is often nonprofits, um, they're very good at scavenging resources, right? Every nonprofits are like, (laughs) shaking, so to speak, Mm -hmm. (laughs) super constrained. I'm a nonprofit. I get it. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, But the idea that you don't first go to, um, it's not always about money. Um, And often, you know, like, like a company might have a really great distribution network with a lot of trucks with extra capacity around it. Governments might have, you know, really amazing uh, 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 databases. And if you want to, if you want to geek out, if you kind of zoom out and just look at the U.S. economy as a whole, government and nonprofit and companies, there's about 250 trillion dollars of assets on our country's balance sheet. It's it's really amazing. And what and, and there's always this fight for like, you know, more money or more taxes or more funding. But if we could be smarter about how we repurpose and use the assets we already have, um, that can be that can be really powerful. So, you know, an example of that we um, we did some work with uh, uh, General Motors um, uh, several years ago, and they have their they have their OnStar, um, you know, system button. out there, right? Yeah. Button, right. So hit, yeah. hit and button, you know, make a restaurant reservation. But was when we were talking with the OnStar folks, it was it was really interesting. We were in their call center, and a couple things um, happened. One is it was during one of the um, natural disasters, and uh, uh, and um, all of a sudden they were getting calls coming in from the Red Cross and FEMA. And it turns out, and this was, I think, during Hurricane Harvey, when the cell network goes down, uh, the GM mm. cars can use the their the whole car as an antenna, and they create this like roving mesh network or, or something. What? So, <laughs> so FEMA and the Red Cross knew to use this General Motor asset, right? So they built this asset for you know making whatever, getting guidance and, and 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 cool stuff. But you could also use it, and the nonprofits could use it, and the governments could use it as a as a really cool backbone, right? So we thought that was a really, that was a very clever way for the Red Cross and FEMA to use a private sector asset for their own, for their own benefit. So we were really curious. We're like, well, you know, what else do you do? And they're like, well, you know, we also handle a lot of um, suicide calls, which was really, um, you know, heartbreaking to hear, but it it turns out that um, a lot of returning uh, vets in this case um, who might have PTSD have an affiliation for buying Chevy pickups. That's just, that was just the thing out there. So all the OnStar operators were trained in um, in taking these suicide prevention calls, and we're like, and, and we're How like, well, cool this is, is that super cool, right? 
But, you know, then we started talking with the nonprofit community. We're like, do you know that like 17% of cars on the road in the U.S. actually have this wired network that's in there? And they're like, no, but, you know, could you see opportunities for a nonprofit that might be working mental health issues to partner more closely with GM to help with training and sharing of resources? So it's just a little bit of, you know, existing resources that may have been built in one sector, right? In this case, private sector that could be useful in government and nonprofit. But the same is true. Nonprofit sec- uh, organizations have amazing resources that companies aren't aware of sometimes that could be useful and government has you know amazing resources too so we're always about how do we link up the resources that are out there but with this you know the human first and the person you're trying to help first um, and then sort of a little bit be agnostic about where they come from that is just like again we we're going to say this 10 more times on this app on this conversation it's thinking differently it's going about your business differently yeah. it's looking at assets in a completely different way and not even just as as objects on a balance sheet. We talk about this a lot, like, you know, prioritizing your donor based on wealth alone, that is one asset. And, and sadly, it's been the only asset that we've really been measured by in the sector, but there are so many other assets yeah. out there right now. And I just commend you for the way that you've embraced two things, listening you are very committed to listening and learning. And two is the innovation. And I and I want to talk about this innovation piece because I feel like it's pouring out of you in spades. And I just feel like you have so much curiosity that you've paired with this, well, what if we could do it this way? Or what if we could look at it a different way? So I want you to talk about tri-sector innovation. Like how have you seen innovators and business models creators like unite together for profit and purpose. Give us like some stories, give us some mindsets. Like how can we tap into this? Sure. Let me, well, I can give you, I can, I can talk to you about this all day because of what I, what, <laughs> I, what I really love. Um, let me tell you one mindset shift first and I'll tell you a story um, around uh, food stamps and I'll tell you another story around nonprofits that do. But this one thing on the mindset shift in terms of you were starting to talk, Becky, about, you know, assets and nonprofits have, we were, we were asked to work with a large uh, pharmaceutical company that was doing work in, in mental health. Um, and we were talking to their team and, you know, had made a presentation and they were super interested in the work. And, you know, they thought a lot about, a lot about the, the VA was one of their biggest customers. Like, how do we sell more, um, in this case, drugs to the VA to, uh, to help people with this particular uh, affiliation? We're like, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, you can think about selling to the VA, but, if you're the head of the VA and you're thinking about how to help these these uh, vets, right, and you know everything you do from the private sector side, what would you do differently? How would you use the VA's assets in a way to really, you know, make life better uh, for that vet who might be struggling? And similarly, if the head of the VA was the head of your organization, what would they do with your private sector stuff? So he was like kind of, you know, thinking about these different approaches it was going to be going. But what he said was really interesting. He said, you know, I've never thought about the nonprofit sector as being useful um, to us. He's like, you know, we they're advocacy groups. We write them checks. I'm like, I'm you're saying talking about mental. collectively for the nonprofits. Yeah, so that's an ouch. The punchline is like, we always give donations. I said, well, who do you think has more real information? Who do you think is running the prison recidivism programs, the homeless shelters? Who do you think actually knows what's happening on the ground? And it was like this light bulb went off in his head. 
that he's got to be thinking about working with nonprofits fundamentally different rather than just writing a check and checks are important. But these were actually on the ground people who actually knew what was going on or on the forefront of society doing really important, innovative work. And they could be really helpful to them. Right. So it was it was really fun to see this mindset shift in him about how can I work with nonprofit you know, organizations differently because I value them in a way and they have unique assets, unique insight that other organizations don't necessarily have. So sorry, I get, I get excited about that because it was, it's fun to see these mindset shifts. Um, I get a couple other stories, I guess, about um, specifics. Um, one of the favorite stories I like to tell is a, a company called, about, a company called Propel, which is based in New York. Um, and they do a lot of work around the SNAP program and around uh, low-income Americans. So in the beginning, they were like, hey, you know, uh, if you're a low-income person on SNAP and it's a $70 billion program, the Department of Agriculture, right, about 45 million people, um, it's, you know, it's, it's still amazing to me that one in seven people in the U.S., you know, struggles with food insecurity. It's which criminal. Is a, yeah, it's a, well, we can get in a whole other conversation yep. um, Don't around Don't get me that. going in, so... Well, I mean, go take a look at our website um, and look at this proposal we put out there for a food utility to actually address this in a really fundamental way. If you and we can, that's a whole another conversation we can get into. Oh, oh, friends, we'll link that up, especially all of you out in the food scarcity and poverty and unhousing situation. Come well, okay, let me. I'll, I'll come back to Propel, but let me just. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So, just on on food access, you know, we're currently working with the Mortgage Family Foundation based in Denver. And the Colorado Food Cluster, which is a nonprofit which has been delivering food during the pandemic um, to kids to actually pilot what we think is a transformational uh, program in terms of delivering uh, food and changing food access. And that's a whole conversation we can get into um, if you want to. But I really encourage people uh, to look at that. It's a great example of a foundation and a nonprofit group partnering together with a tri-sector model to fundamentally change what's happening out there. But anyway, let me come back to the story about Propels, right? These guys are, who have created this app, right, that are helpful for people currently on food stamps. And they started with a very simple uh, process. They said, hey, let's talk to people on food stamps and what's their life like. And the average um, SNAP user gets about $200 a month and it lasts about two weeks and they run out of money. Um, and so what they really need to know is how much money's left on their card, right? So they need to know what their balance was. Um, and it used to be called the state up with an 800 number. And these guys, well, let's create an app that does that. So they created this app that was essentially a balance checking app. But when we started talking with them, they realized there was a much, much larger opportunity for them to create a tri-sector model, right? And they thought about the person on food stamps and they thought about, well, what are the other government programs they might need to access for benefits? So things like, you know, Section 8 housing and you can go down the list of any of the other social safety net programs. And they created an app that kind of integrates all this stuff. And they also thought through the myriad of nonprofits that could actually be providing benefits, whether that's job training or childcare or heating assistance. So they've created this concierge service uh, for people on SNAP, right, to actually bring the best of all three sectors uh, to them. And I think it's a great example. Um, they've rebranded the app now as the Providers app, um, and I encourage some of your nonprofits to look at that. They partner very closely with nonprofits. I know here in Seattle, like Mary's Place, which is a, a shelter for uh, for women, one of the first things they'll do is when people come in, they'll say, hey, download this app because it'll give you access to SNAP and other benefits and nonprofits and whatnot. 
So it's a really great example of a, the way a tri-sector approach can not only make the company stronger, but the nonprofits more effective and able to reach people, right? Because companies tend to have more distribution and also bring in government services. Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor, who also happens to be one of our favorite companies, Virtuous. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you both see and activate donors at every level, and Virtuous is the platform to help you do just that. It's so much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous helps charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, volunteer management, and online giving, and we love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sounds like Virtuous might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor, Slingshot Group. Our friends over at Slingshot Group partner with nonprofits to recruit and hire great leaders, build remarkable teams, and unleash your mission's potential. You know, we talk often about how much your organization's culture matters, especially today, and not just being a place that attracts talent, but also becomes a magnet to connecting donors to your mission. Slingshot Group is the organization we trust to help you do just that. It's so much more than a staffing and executive search firm. Slingshot Group goes deep and gets to know your culture so they can help you find the leaders and staff who will take your mission to the next level. Sound like Slingshot Group might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at slingshotgroup.org or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, Jens, you're like the hype person for the whole nonprofit sector because I, I feel like I've heard this threaded through and That's it's for, for all collaboration. Sectors. But I just think like your story of your friend not understanding the power that nonprofit was bringing, I think also shame on the nonprofit for not coming to the table to offer that. And that's what we want to dispel that we're defaulting to sponsor my table at the gala instead of, hey, actually this unique partnership could unlock and grow our mission and grow the impact and all of it, the velocity across the board. And I just think it's like you got to, you got to chase the cheese, wherever the cheese is, you know, like what's the problem here? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, I mean, in my own journey, like when I started, you know, I, I, I was I did not come out of the nonprofit world. So I'm, I'm yeah. still new and still learning um, all the time. And I actually surprised a lot of people when I decided that I wanted to create a C3 um, and be a nonprofit and, and create a public uh, We're so it. glad but, you're here. <laughs> I'm happy to be stay, here. Ar- <laughs> stay around for a while. But the, I mean, but I'll just say, sort of, from a personal standpoint, you know, I would go to these luncheons and galas, and 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 it was they were amazing and you know incredibly well told stories. But after going for several years, it felt a little bit like Groundhog Day. Um, it felt like, hey, these are the same sort of stories. And I, I asked myself the question: Are we really solving these problems at scale? And are we solving them at scale uh, quickly enough? And 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 the, I think as a society, I think we can say no. We're not solving these problems at scale. I mean, Becky, you were talking about you know food insecurity. We've had one out of seven people being food insecure for forty years, um, and we haven't really moved the dial um, um, on it. And I think that either Bridgeband or someone had done a study about scale in the nonprofit sector. And I think this isn't going to be right, but I think the research was something like since nineteen seventy, there have been like fifty thousand nonprofits that scaled past a million dollars. It's not the right number. 
where there's been tens of thousands and nonprofits uh, tend to struggle with scale, whereas the private sector scales really, really well. There are some nonprofits that scale beautifully, like, you know, Girl Scouts or universities or hospitals, but by and large, they, but on the other hand, the nonprofit sector really has important resources, important insight and important knowledge. And if you can take the best of the nonprofit sector and combine it with the best of maybe private sector and the best of government, then maybe we can start to unlock some of these problems at scale faster because you can't mm. solve any of these problems in with one sector um, alone. I've been having a fair number of conversations at the federal level. And one of my strong messages to uh, the federal government we've been working with is they are trying to get their different departments. They want the Department of Labor to work with the Department you know, of Education to work with the Veterans Department, all really important, right? But I'm like, if you guys just think about you know, getting coordination at the federal level and you forget about the people, you're never going to get there. Because if you think about the person first, they're going to need some federal assets from all those agencies. They're going to need the state. They're going to need the yeah. county. They're going to need the city, right? They're going to need companies and they're going to need nonprofits. So you've, if you don't adopt the tri-sector approach you're like like Propel did with its food stamp app or like CoinStar app, you're going to miss the opportunity for really solving problems at scale. So we're beating this drum about trying to get all organizations in all sectors uh, uh, to think differently and to build their models differently. We give them tools and ways to actually think about this. And that's why this conversation is so deeply important and conversations like this. I mean, you have a podcast. We got to give a little shout out because you are socializing this and it takes so many of us socializing how we need to see change, how we enact change. It's not just enough to talk about it. That's why we love that this community is an activating community. And I, and I want to talk about that with you, like in terms of application, we have, we have listeners from all different sectors, all different types of positions and roles. Talk about how they can begin to apply these ideas today. How can we begin to work together to deepen the work of our important missions? How do we leverage this tri-sector mindset? What's something you would say to you know the average nonprofit listener um, who's taking all this in? So what I would say is the reason New Impact exists is we're trying to create and develop this mindset. Um, and then we're trying to create tools. So if people want to go to our website, which is newimpact.care, they'll find three things. They'll find some information about, you know, how this mindset works and some ways to think about it. Um, they'll see these projects that are examples with a ton of information about, you know, here's a way to apply it. We just finished a project around um, home ownership for the black community, which is um, uh, black home ownership is dramatically under other races ownership. So what are the systemic issues that are blocking home ownership, right? I've already mentioned the, the USO project and the, um, um, and the food utility project. So there's examples there, but there are also tools, right? So we're starting to work with universities to teach and train this. So we're working right now with the University of Washington um, in the business school and in other schools and in their accelerators and incubate, um, innovators to actually develop methods. So one thing people can do on the website is they can download something we call the tri-sector you know, innovation uh, canvas. Uh, which is uh, right now it's on paper. It's going to be digital here within a couple of weeks. We're really excited by it. I'm very proud of you. You put a little banner at the top of your website that says <laughs> coming soon. Look at your marketing. Way to go. <laughs> well, and, and we're trying to create tools. And, and the idea here is that, you know, we really want um, 
everyone to start, you know, using this um, approach. I think it's very powerful. Um, a lot of people are familiar with design thinking, right, and human-centered design. That took about 30 years to get crafted um, and developed. And we're trying to, with Tri-Sector Innovation, sort of add that lens. It's a different lens on, on building your nonprofit out there, making it accessible and available. So if someone really wants to get into it, I'd say go to the website, download the Canvas, read some of the stuff, see some of the examples. Um, we're also really interested in spreading this work, right? So we're starting right now with, with the U uh, here in Seattle, but we uh, plan to work with other universities. Um, uh, Cal Poly's uh, been very interested in it, and we'd love to get a whole variety of academic organizations, not only doing research, but teaching this in business schools and public policy schools and school, uh, schools of social innovation. Um, and then we also have some... Um, um, you know, it's interesting. My own experience in the, in the nonprofit sector is it's not particularly tech savvy. And I hate to say that so bluntly. <laughs> we know. You're safe to say we that. Own we own it. We say it often. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. I mean, coming from the private sector, it's one of the things that drives me a little bit nuts around the sector is um, it doesn't it doesn't want to embrace um tech as 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 readily as it as it might let's just say um i mean human relationships are important um and i completely value that um but if we're going to do things at scale we should be using um some modern some some tools like databases and stuff that could be um be helpful so we are starting to um put out um kind of a roadmap for we think uh public uh good innovation and impact tools and we're very interested in working with either for-profits or not-for-profits who actually want to help develop these data tools that could serve all nonprofits. Um, one of the things we've put out there is this concept of something we call the uh, the New Impact Wiki, which is just essentially a directory of organizations, list of nonprofits, list of for-profits, list of government entities, and organize them by impact, right? So we use the UN Sustainable Development Goals. I don't know if you guys uh, SDGs. Absolutely, SDG, let's do it. <laughs> so you can go to the, the website, which is not yet public, but we can. Uh, we're trying to get it there, where you could say, okay, show me everybody in Washington State who's on the team for you know hunger, right? And it'll say, here's the city, you know, of Seattle's resources. Here's the state of Washington's resources. Um, here are the county resources. Here are the private sector resources, social sector resources. And the idea that we as a society can put our resources together and think about what to do, there is incredible resources out there. There are way more people working on these issues than people realize. And we think some technology that can help bring the network together um, could be really, really powerful. So that's something we're, we're excited to kind of bring to the conversation. Imagine kind of Wikipedia on steroids for impact and innovation. I love it. It's like, why does I that do not too. exist, you know? And I think... Exactly, John. I mean, I, we look at these things like, why hasn't somebody already done this, right? This is why and we PS, took a lot. how can we help? Like, how right. can we pour into that? Like, it, everybody can contribute to something like that and pull something out of it. What a community resource. I say, but what's interesting is that I'm really dedicated to New Impact being a, a public good. Um, cause I think that's the only way it can really do the work it needs to do, but it's a struggle as a nonprofit. Like we have to get grants, we have to, you know, do earned revenue, um, and make that come. And there's not a lot of, I'd say, interest in the, in the, in the nonprofit sector to create sort of systemic level change. I mean, nonprofit sector tends to focus on the direct and immediate benefit, which is great. And we're a level deeper than that. And we think if we're going to, you know, actually create fundamental change at scale, we've got to do some of this foundational work. 
and build the systems and the tools so we can accelerate change. So not just a couple of organizations I can tell you about that are doing this work, but everybody can engage with it. You're you're in, you're in like-minded place right here. I mean, we call it an impact uprising. We want to see a lot of the same things that I hear you describe. I mean, that's a disruption of getting more people involved in philanthropy to help power that. Yeah, philanthropy is not always the big P around here. It's often not the big P. It's more like getting everybody involved with whatever their gifts are. And so I want to transition and give you a chance to tell a little bit of a story. I mean, your story has been insane. (laughs) I love that you've followed these nudges and life moments to do this really aligned work at this point in your life. And I wonder if you'd share a moment of philanthropy that has stuck with you in your journey. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go back to that. That one that I mentioned before when I was going to a lot of these luncheons and, um, and galas and fundraising, and I'm not a big donor, but, you know, that I, but I have, you know, I've made, you know, I've tried to participate. And this, this sense of like, oh, every one of these stories is important um, and heartbreaking and meaningful and aligned, but are we really making a difference at scale? And that's what... That's what really struck me is I think philanthropy on its own does amazing work, right? And companies on their own could do amazing work. But this notion we weren't thinking about people first as a society, that was kind of that, I'd say that was that moment when I'd gone to yet another luncheon and it was the same story I'd heard five years ago. And I'm like, it's really important. The nonprofit's doing amazing work, but it, it, it felt like we were on a treadmill. Um, and that's what really motivated me to think, okay, what can, you know, what can I add to the conversation here? You know, what in terms of the background that I had could be useful. And honestly, when I started, you know, New Impact, I thought, oh, it's only going to be good for, uh, you know, early stage private sector companies. That's what I knew. And one of the things that's been so powerful is realizing that any organization, right, in any sector can actually take this more holistic uh, point of view. And yet we're not taught that. We're not taught to think that way. We're, we're still very siloed in terms of our buckets um, that are out there. So this more integrated approach has been 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 really exciting to see. And I love, I mean, I can tell you, this, I've told you stories about um, uh, Propel with food stamps. I'll, I'll just share one other story that's been really motivating to me. There's a there's an early stage company in Newark called Mochafy. Um and they're really focused on providing credit into black and brown communities in urban settings. Um, and oh, love yeah, that. and it, and when I, we first met them, they were really interesting. They'd started working with the Section 8 housing database. So that's a $45 billion program. And what they realized is that even if someone was on federal assistance for housing, if they still made the payments on time, it said something about their credit, right? So they could actually, but the credit ratings didn't see that. So these people have low credit scores, um, but they actually deserve credit, better credit scores. So they thought, oh, we can start to, you know, use this government piece to make life better and get credit, um, you know, better credit for, for people in these urban uh, centers where the, where the banks have uh, withdrawn, right? And people are often stuck with payday lenders and super high rates and those sort of things. But as they were developing their model, they were like, oh, you know, we're encouraging them. How could you work with a nonprofit? So we're like, well, who else is on your team? Who else thinks about uh, credit and credit lending in these communities? And they're like, well, you know, the YWCA. We're more like, 
we bet the YWCA knows a lot of women who could use this service, right? So they created a partnership with the YWCA in Chicago to distribute these cards right there. And it was really, it was great for the company. It was also really great for, for, for the Y. And they've pushed it even further now. And they're now working with cities and they're working with the mayor's office in Los Angeles to create these um, citywide Angelino cards, right? So moments like that where it's philanthropy and it's business and government, that's what really gets me motivated because I feel like, you know, it's a society that we're putting people first, right? And then letting the sector serve the people, which is what I think we ought to be doing. And that is the basis of how philanthropy was founded in this country, like one person giving to another person, whether it was for an orphanage or a soup kitchen or at your church or whatever, it always starts with the human being. And I keep thinking we need like a little bell when there's like a tri-sector model, like explosion of innovation. That is such a great story. And I hope it's really shifted your mindsets, listeners, because I have been sitting here thinking that we need a fourth sector. I've been thinking that for a year, you know, that, you know, the the three sectors, there's just not a way to make it so congruent, which I'm thinking, well, maybe Jens is going to build a way to make that synchronicity happen. Because when it does happen, everybody typically wins. And then we're not living in scarcity. We're not, you know, we're, we're, taking advantage of this company's tech or their resources or their employees right. or their brand or their network. And then we're bringing in our expertise and, and our passion and our stories and our mission work. And everybody has something to contribute to the pie. And so I don't know that we need to create a new pie. We just have to figure out how to make the pie more edible <laughs> for everybody else. Yeah. I'll stop with my metaphors. <laughs> No, I, I love it. But it, it, you know, I often, I'll take my glasses off here because I often talk about trisector thinking as sort of a new set of glasses. And, and often, you know, like either a, we build these resources in society for, you know, a, a primary purpose. But with a little bit of innovation, you can use them for a lot of other things, uh, right? That's out there. So the sense of abundance that you, you talk about, I come back to, you know, we have this huge balance sheet, right? Of 250 trillion in, in the U.S. alone. We can be way smarter about it. And we tend to work across a lot of cities and a lot of different areas. And I see, you know, what's going on in Austin or Denver or Baltimore and Seattle. We don't communicate, right? We don't yeah. kind of share the lessons quickly enough. There's not a good enough network to sort of leverage what we already know. But I think if we can create that connective tissue, we can actually start to solve some of these problems uh, faster. And that's what we're that's what we're motivated to do. Well, we join you absolutely in that effort. And this community is just living proof of the fact that it is possible in the modern era. And, yeah. you know, Jens, we, we end all of our podcast conversations asking our guests to give us a one good thing. And this could be a mantra, a life hack, something you live by. What would you offer up to the community, your one good thing? I guess the, the, the one good thing is there's a much bigger team out there who are working alongside of you that you may not be um, aware of. And if you can ask yourself, you know, you know, what do I actually, what does a person need? What are the resources out there? And who might have already done it? Right. How might we be able to use something and, and repurpose it? How might we recycle the, uh, the resources we already have? We think we can get to problems much faster. So I'd encourage people to think about how do I repurpose our existing resources, find out my other team members and then align with them. Right. Um, and really create these stronger models. Jens, I mean, we get called ridiculous, idealist, toxic (laughs) optimist here. And I'm like, what you just said is so true because it gets confirmed day after day with conversations that 
you got to find your team. And like, there's other people fighting for the same thing you want to see in the world. It's just a matter of having conversations, you know, and I think this conversation is pushing us into that. So round this out, how can we get connected to all these amazing resources on your website? Point us to the ways you show up online, your organization, all the things. Yeah, so you can find our, our core asset is, is the website, which is newimpact.care. We intentionally chose a dot .care. Love that name. Not yeah, a dot .com, not a dot .org, not a dot .gov, because we want to be, um, you know, uh, sector agnostic. And I actually think that caring is at the core of what really makes change happen. And if we all can, when you care, then good stuff's happened. So that would be the place. We're also on LinkedIn. We do a lot of posting um, on LinkedIn. Uh, we're not as active on other social media pieces. So I'd say LinkedIn and the website are the best places um, uh, to find us. And we're super interested in working with other people. We, we want people to borrow, copy, replicate. Everything we do is a public good. We want it to be copied, shared. Um, there's no pride of ownership here um, at all. And we just hope that we can be useful. So if people are interested, you know, either in helping us develop the mindset and teaching and researching it, if they're interested in the tech, which, which is particularly challenging as a speed three, or in terms of doing specific projects like the food utility project, uh, we'd be happy to talk, chat with them. Nonprofits, social impact orgs, go find Yens. Go find the new impact <laughs> team. We are going to keep our eye out for that Canvas offering that you're you going to be dropping. You can download it now. V one's out. V two will be out in like like by the time this podcast drops, I think. So excellent. Amazing. Well, we will link it up as a freebie in our newsletter because we want you to have access to these tools. When when our work is democratized, it just helps us all scale more quickly. And that is yeah. just the underpinning of this conversation. So thank yeah. you so much for coming in. We root you on in your work and we are in lockstep beside you um, working toward these mighty missions that we think are absolutely attainable to change the world. And I will never lose that ridiculous optimism even at 42. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Well, I'm 60, Becky, and we still got it going. All right. Thanks, right. Do it. thanks Becky. <laughs> hey, friends. Thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free. And you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.